Well, good morning, everybody. One more time. Good morning, everybody. Good Good to see you here today. We're continuing on in our series called Remain in Christ. And so we learned that uh, Jesus is the... Are you asking that as a question? (laughs) Jesus is the vine. vine. Excellent. We are the Branches. branches. And... The Father is the gardener. the gardener. Excellent, excellent. You've been listening. I was a little bit worried there for a minute. Yeah, but you got it right. When Gloria and I were uh, missionaries in Greece, we were actually in the city of Thessaloniki. And just on the edge of town, there's a little village called Thermi. Um, and uh, we lived on the second floor, a beautiful home owned by a fussy little, nervous little Greek man by the name of Yanis. And... Um, while we were there, uh, we, uh, we met a number of, of missionaries from different parts of the world. Uh, there were some that came from, uh, from Holland, so some Dutch missionaries, some Indonesia, uh, American, Canadian, Norwegian, and the list goes on. And so we used to like to fellowship with these folks when we had the chance. And we, uh, one evening, had Bart and Matilda over. They're from Holland, beautiful Dutch people. And Gloria was inside, and she was uh, uh, preparing the meal with Matilda and uh, doing, the th- doing whatever women do when they're hanging out together. I thought, well, I'm going to take Bart for a, a little walk around the property. And so we're walking around the property, and uh, we're looking at the rose bushes, these beautiful rose bushes. And uh, uh, I said, so what do you think of them? Oh, they're, they're, they're nice. Uh, then all of a sudden, he spotted some pruning shears. And he, he literally attacked all the rose bushes uh, that were not mine. They were the fussy little Greek yannis. <laughs> Those were his rose bushes. And so he, he, I, let, me just, let me just show you a picture. This is, this are the, these are the rose bushes um, when Bart saw them. And these were the rose bushes after Bart was done with them. I thought, I, I was going to have a nervous breakdown. I thought, man, we are done. We're going to be kicked out. We're finished. They'll never allow us in this house. Uh, they're going to call the prime minister. We'll be, we'll be in big trouble. Turns out, turns out that uh, he was right. He did the right thing to that rose bush. He pruned it so that it would produce bigger, more luscious, more bountiful supply of roses. Now, the Bible is very clear that God is a gardener. How many know that God is at work in your life if you are a Christian? If you are a true believer, then God is at work in your life, and this is what he's doing to you. He's he's pruning you. He's working in you because he wants you to be transformed. Look at this scripture verse here. Jesus says this, I am the true grapevine, And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. How many know there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians, a lot of people who go to church, that are not, they're not actually converted. They're social Christians. They like the idea of coming to church, hanging around with Christian people, because Christian people, for the most part, are actually kind of nice people. Real Christians I'm talking about. Not the fake ones. Not like the church ladies on Saturday Night Live those of you who are my age, we're talking about real Christians. And 
And so here's, here's what he says. He, he, he cuts them off. Any, any branch that doesn't produce fruit, he cuts it off. And watch this. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. Now here's what you and I need to understand as Christians. God is at work in us. He's, he wants to work through us. But before you and I can be productive and produce fruit that will last for eternity, he's got to work on us. And what he does is he prunes us so that we will be even more productive, so that we will actually be useful to God. Now, I want to just show you quickly. I, 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 I'm not a gardener. Anybody who knows me knows I'm not a gardener. If you gave me a plant, I'm going to kill it, not on purpose, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave it with me. So I don't really know anything about it. So what I have to do is I actually have to go and, and research it on Google. So here's a, here's a, a typical vine. This is, this is not a real vine. This is a diagram, in case you can't tell. And uh, you'll see those little red marks. Those are all the places. Those red lines represent the 10 cuts that need to be made in this vine. Now, for somebody who's not a gardener, we look at that and say, well, why on earth would you cut the branches off a perfectly good plant? It looks so, so luscious, so healthy, all those beautiful branches. Well, here's the thing. If you're a gardener, you understand that the only way that this vine is going to produce fruit is if it is pruned. This is the vine, the same vine that you just saw. This is the vine after the pruning. Those four circles identify the four branches that were chosen to produce fruit. Now, I want you to recognize the language here. I, this, is, this, this diagram, it does not come from, from a church resource. This is actually just uh, a gardener's resource. I just Googled it. And they actually use that language. These are the four branches that are chosen. And you'll notice that there's some instructions here. Branches that needed to be eliminated have, eliminated have to be cut one centimeter from the main stem. Keep two buds per branch. The two weakest stems are cut off, just like Jesus says. In fact, I want you to see the language here that Jesus uses in John 15, 16. You didn't choose me, I chose you. That's exactly the language that the gardeners are using that grow vines. The four branches that are chosen. Jesus says, I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. So here's what you need to know as a believer. If you call yourself a Christian today, then God intends that you produce fruit that will last for eternity. Someday when we get to heaven, there's, how many know there's going to be a mighty party in heaven? A beautiful one, and we're going to be celebrating the fruit that the believers have produced, the fruit that will last for eternity. Pastor Allen, what is that fruit? Well, the only way you're going to know is if you come next week, because we're going to talk about that next Sunday. But for now, what we need to understand is that we need to be prepared to produce the fruit that God wants us to produce. Now, last week I mentioned that there are 9,000, about 9,000 churches that are scheduled to be closed over the next decade. And uh, there were protests. Uh, I, I actually, sh I shared what I saw on the CBC news feed on my, on my iPhone. And uh, yeah, that, that was the headline, 9,000 churches to be closed. Well, in the story, there's, people are protesting. They don't want to close the churches. Um, 
I'm assuming that people are having prayer meetings. Oh, God, please don't close our church. Oh, God, please do a miracle. Oh, God, please keep this church building open. I'm sure they were having bake sales and they were selling chocolates and doing whatever they could to raise the funds to keep that church alive. Can I remind everybody of something? A church building and the church are not the same thing. A church building is a building. It's not alive. It's just a building. The church, on the other hand, is, is, is an organism. Let's call it that. It's alive, and it's meant to produce fruit. So I'm sure that there's people all over the place praying, oh, God, keep the church, church open. Don't let it close. God, I'll, 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 I'll take some money out of my RSPs. I'll do whatever I can to keep the building open. And so some churches uh, have to get circuit preachers because there's not enough people there to support it. And the poor, poor circuit preacher's got to go from church to church to church to preach sermons because there's not enough to keep it alive. Here's what you and I need to understand. You and I do not produce fruit on our own. This church cannot produce fruit on its own. We talked about this last last week and the week before. The only way that you can produce fruit is if you are connected to the vine. Did you get that? We talked about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You can't produce that on your own. Some people think, you know, Pastor Alan, I'm, I'm actually doing pretty good in my faith. Uh, I, I've got the joy down thing down pretty good. I'm, I'm happy most of the time. Patience, that's a, that's a hard thing. I'm, I'm working hard on it, though. And I'm working hard to be that. And I'm working hard to be self-controlled. Can I just tell you something right now? You have no, you've not got the ability. You do not have the ability to, to be patient, to be joyful, to be self-controlled in your own power. You may be able to do different bits and pieces at different times. But in order for you to produce the fruit that pleases Jesus, you need to be connected to Christ because it's Christ in you that produces that fruit. You can't do it on your own. So this notion, this idea that i got to work on this fruit of myself, no, what you need to do is you need to work on being connected to Jesus. Habit number one, a daily walk with God. It's just another way of saying Remain in Christ. Stay connected to Jesus. You've got to pray. You've got to read your Bible every day in order to produce the fruit in your life. I have people come to me and say, Pastor Alan, I'm struggling with smoking. I'm struggling with addictions. Listen, what I'm going to tell you to do is simple. You need to go shut yourself in with God and have a relationship with him and let him begin to do a work in your life. You can't do it on your own. If you go to AA, they're going to tell you the same thing. You need to recognize your need of a higher power. Now, we understand who that higher power is. Who's the higher power? Jesus. The way that you're going to produce fruit that's going to please Christ is for you to be connected to Christ. So no matter how many cookies you sell, no matter how much baking you sell, no matter how many chocolates you sell, the fact of the matter is God will cut off every church, every branch that does not produce fruit. And the only way you're going to produce fruit is not by selling more chocolates, but by getting on your knees and getting connected to God. That's how we see revival. That is how we produce fruit, by being connected to Christ. Now listen, we, uh, we, we need to understand what Jesus is saying here in John 15, 1 to 2. Jesus says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. 
He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. Now, sadly, over the years, sadly, I've watched many people come to church. I've, watched, I've heard people say, Pastor Alan, I became a Christian. I have baptized people who've claimed to be converted that know Christ, and sadly today, they're no longer with us. In fact, they're nowhere. They have turned their backs on God. What happened? I hear people, I, have, I, hear, I hear this all the time. People say, well, I, I'm not getting fed, or I need to go to this church, and then they go to that church for a while, and then they finally they decide they're not getting fed there either, and they move to another church, and another church, and another church. Or they blame people in the church, they blame the pastor, this, that, and the other thing. Here's what you need to understand. The thing that makes you fruitful the thing that, that guarantees a vibrant faith is that you stay connected to Jesus. Sadly, there's too many people who attend church because it's a great social gathering. You, I mean, you get to come to church. We serve you coffee before the service. We serve you coffee after the service. We give you, we give you opportunities to come to banquets. We have all kinds of fun around here. But that's not why we exist. We exist to help you stay connected to Jesus. And if you're not having a daily walk with God, if you're not doing your devotions every day, if you're not open to the Spirit of God working in your life, then I can guarantee you this. You are not going to survive as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not going to happen. Guaranteed. In fact, you all know this already. You know that as soon as you stop going to church, as long as you, as soon as you stop going to small group, as soon as you stop praying, reading your Bible every day, then things all start caving in, and you lose, you lose your faith. That's not God's intention. God's intention is that you thrive, that you bear fruit, and produce even more. But you can't do that in your own strength. You have to stay connected to Christ. Now, what I want to share with you today is perhaps the most important thing you're going to hear in the course of the whole year, uh, maybe the most important thing you're going to hear in your whole life. And it's this, how does God prune us? Well, first of all, Jesus says in, in, in chapter 15, John chapter 15, verse 3, he says, you have already been pruned and purified by the message that I have given you. So the beginning of being pruned, the beginning of having a life that is productive and fruitful is what I've been saying, is that you have to be connected to God. You have to be praying and reading your Bible every day. Hey, what exactly is reading the Bible all about? I'll tell you very simply. When you read the Bible, God speaks to you. And sometimes we say that. The Bible is God speaking to me. So when you open your Bible and you read it, God speaks. This is why I said to my daughter, Sarah, you're not leaving home until you learn how to have a relationship with God. When you demonstrate to me that you can read your Bible and, and, and you can demonstrate that God's speaking to you, then away you go. And that's exactly what she did. She has a daily walk with God. She's connected to the vine, bearing fruit and producing even more. That's the beginning of it. Now, here's what I know from experience. I read the Bible all the time. And I read it, and I know it's good, but sometimes it doesn't change my behavior. So what do I do then? Because there's a lot of you sitting here today saying, I read my Bible all the time. 
How many know that, that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship with God? In John 15, Jesus tells us that the relationship with God is actually a relationship between a branch, us, and the gardener, God. So if I'm busy feeding on, on, on the word of God and, and I'm not changing, then God's got to do the second step. And this is the hard part. But I need to share it with you because for many of you, you don't understand why you're going through hardship right now. You don't know why you're going through some struggles right now. The temptation is to blame the devil, blame your wife, blame your kids, blame your boss. But here's what you need to know. Is that God is going to discipline you. Not as punishment, but as training. Now you need to get that. Because Jesus died on the cross to take upon himself the punishment we deserve. God disciplines us not because he hates us, but because he loves us. Because he wants to train us to be the people that he wants us to be. A lot of people don't understand that. So how does God discipline us? The same way that I discipline my kids. I had to, I had to, I had to teach them the difference between right and wrong. I had to teach them good habits. I had to teach them to refrain from bad habits. I had to teach them how to respect me as their father. That is, that, that is the number one rule in the house. You, you have to respect your mother and your father. Did I come up with that idea? No, I didn't come up with that idea. Who did? God did. It's right there in the Ten Commandments, folks. Honor your mother and father. And by the way, it's the one commandment that comes with a blessing. The Bible says if you honor your mother and father, then you're going to live long in the land. In other words, you're going to enjoy the blessing of God. So we have to respect our parents. They have to respect their parents. They have to respect one another. They have to respect the house. They've got to treat it, treat it with respect. They have to be hard on the house. They're not going to break things, bashing through walls, destroying the place. They need to learn what it is to respect. Now, this is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is talking about in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. He says, no discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. I don't know, I have never met anybody that enjoys discipline. I know I don't. But I, here I am at my age, and I'm still under the discipline of God. God's still disciplining me. He's still working in me. And my wife's saying, hallelujah. It's, it's, it's not enjoyable. In fact, it's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. There's, there is the gardener uh, reference again, that, that harvest, that peaceful harvest of right living, that, that wonderful fruit that reflects what it means to be long to God. God is going to discipline you. Remember, not because he's punishing you, but because he wants you to have an abundant life. Remember, we talk about that all the time. Jesus says the thief comes to rob, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it abundant, rich, full, and satisfying. Some people say Christianity, oh, it's, a, it's just a bunch of rules. It's not a bunch of rules. Christianity is all about, about being trained by God to have the best life that you could ever have so that you can have a rich and satisfying life. And so what God does is he disciplines us. He trains us. 
I can tell you, all the years I've, I've disciplined my children, it was never because I hated them. It's because I loved them. I want them to be a success. I want them to be able to fit into society. I don't want people talking about them behind their back. What a pig he is. Look at the way she dresses. Look at the, look at the way he acts. What an attitude. I want my kids to succeed and to do well. And if, if I want that for my kids, how much more does our Father in heaven want the best for you and me? And so he disciplines us. Wow, are you open to the discipline of God? Well, I, let me just, I got to read this to you. Right out, of, right out of Hebrews 12, looking at verse 5 to 11. And it says, And have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you as his children? Isn't that amazing, first of all, that God would call us his children? Behold, what manner of love the Father has shown unto us that we should be called the sons and the daughters of God. He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. In other words, don't dismiss it. And don't give up when he corrects you. Some of you, the minute God corrects you, it's, that's it, I'm done. I, I, Christianity's not for me. That just shows your immaturity. It doesn't show your intelligence, does it? For the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes each one he accepts as his child. So if you're under the, under the discipline of God right now, it's because he loves you. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined, disciplined by his father? I wish the author of this could come to the year 2019 and see what life is like now. Hey, you want to know? You know what? <laughs> What makes me believe in a devil is that he has convinced the whole generation that discipline is not good for children. Hello? We have a whole generation that, oh, it's not good. It, it damages their self-esteem, their self-worth. It, it, meanwhile, we've got a whole generation that's actually turning on each other and creating havoc unlike anything we've ever known or seen before. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirit and live forever? Someone say amen. amen. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best that they knew how. My dad's here this morning. I thank God for him. And my dad, he disciplined us. And you know what? I thank God for my dad. Was he perfect? No. That comes as a surprise to him, but no. He <laughs> for our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. Hey, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterwards, wow, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. The best thing that could ever happen to you is that God disciplines you. We need to read the word of God so that we can be pruned 
That is so that we can become the people God wants us to be. But sometimes we just don't get it, and that's when our dad has to step in and fix things. How many know what I'm talking about? And some of you right now, the father is working on you. The father is disciplining. You're going through a difficult time. Not because he hates you, but because he loves you. Not because he wants to punish you, but because he wants you to thrive. He wants you to have a rich and satisfying life. Do you understand the heart of the Father this morning? He loves you and wants the best for you. I'm going to tell you, there's nothing that helped me understand who God is better than becoming a father. Because I suddenly realized, hey, just because I make mistakes doesn't mean God hates me. But God is going to discipline me. He's going to train me. He's going to make me into the man he wants me to be. And i got news for you. He's still working on me. And I'm so glad of it. He hasn't given up on me. The evidence that God loves me is he's working in me. He's not giving up on me. It's painful. It's not enjoyable. But I wouldn't have it any other way. Now, this morning, I want to ask you a question. Are you open to what God wants to do in your life? Because I can tell you this, by nature, you are very self-centered. You're full of pride. You want things your way. And if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ that produces great fruit, then you can't have it your way. You have to have it his way. You know, when I uh, became the youth pastor... Back in March, some of the youth and some of the youth workers were very shocked at the way that I was the youth pastor. I'm going to tell you, we live in a generation now that believes that kids should be able to do whatever they want. Because in that way, they can express themselves, their creative juices, whatever, blah, blah, garbage that you want to come up with. The very first thing that I did is I, I taught all the youth what it means to respect me. If somebody else is talking while I'm talking, I stop talking because you can only hear one person at a time. And so I'll stop talking, and when you're finished talking, then I can talk. That was quite a shock, quite a surprise. Some of the youth leaders came to me afterwards and said, well, that was amazing what you did. I said, well, what did I do? Well, you just made them respect you. And the next thing I did is I said, you have to respect each other. You can't treat each other disrespectfully. And you have to respect the other leaders. So when there's, when there's games on, everybody participates. You don't get to just sit around. This is not a drop-in center. I don't have time for a drop-in center. I'm in the business of teaching people how to follow Jesus. And it begins with learning how to respect one another and learning how to respect our Father in heaven. I taught them that they had to learn to respect the, respect the building, the property. There's kids running on the chairs. And I said, man, these are $60 chairs. At least they were when I bought them. Those are for sitting on, not for renting on. They're just shocked. What, what are you talking about? I didn't know that. You don't, you don't run on the chairs. You respect the property. You don't crash into walls. You respect the property. You don't bring Slurpees and, and drinks in here that could stain the carpet. We've already spent thousands of dollars replacing carpet. Why? Because people just don't respect it. And everybody thought, well, Pastor Allen, you're so mean. 
<laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> don't 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 be mean, Pastor Allen. Be nice. Here's here's what I know because I've been a pastor, pastor for a lot of years and I've been a father and I was a youth pastor. When people say be nice to me, don't be mean to me, you know what they're really saying? Let me do what I want. Let me do whatever I want. Let me have whatever I want. Let me say whatever I want. And what you need to understand is it's not how life works. It's not how relationships work. It's not how healthy, loving relationships want, work. I'm not trying to discipline anybody. I'm not trying to make, I mean, I'm not trying to hurt anybody. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to teach you how to thrive, how to have a successful life, how to do well in life, how to be happy in life. And it comes from learning through discipline. It's not enjoyable. It's uncomfortable. I had some kids storm out, never coming back. I'm not going to sacrifice the whole group for one or two that demand to do it their own way. One, one young lady, uh, I'm using that term loosely, she was very, very unkind to another youth and uh, was very rude and mean and said mean things. So I said, you are going to go and apologize to her. And she said, no, you don't have to. I said, well, then you're going to leave because those are your only options. You can't make me leave. <laughs> oh, Yeah. You're either going to apologize or you're going to leave. Those are your only options. Now, some youth workers are worried, oh, well, they'll never come back. It's not my problem. Hey, can I just remind everybody of something right now? Because here, here's, here's the, the prevailing philosophy in a lot of churches. We have to do whatever we can to get them in and to keep them in. We don't want to lose them. We don't want to offend them. We don't want to say anything that's going to hurt their feelings. My job is to preach the gospel. My job is to teach people how to follow Christ. I'm not a philosopher. I'm not a, a psychologist. I am a preacher of the truth, the truth that sets people free. That's my job. And so if I tell you something that you don't like, I, I'm not going to apologize for that. Because Jesus never apologized. For the truth. I'm not Jesus. I do have to apologize sometimes for maybe being a human and doing and having human motives and maybe even having human reactions. But when it comes to truth, no apologies. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful, but afterwards there'll be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. When I stand before Christ someday, and I'm going to, and I'm going to be judged just like you're going to be judged. This is what I have to give an account for. He's going to, he's going to ask me, Alan, what did you teach people? Well, I, I just wanted them to have warm, fuzzy feelings when they came to church. But Jesus was going to say, that's not what I told you to do. What did I tell you to do, Alan? Go make disciples. Teaching them what? To obey. Obey everything I've commanded you. If you're visiting here today, this is not your church, or you're not a Christian or whatever, I'm, what, what I'm saying to you is this. My job is to teach you how to have a productive, joyful, happy, abundant, rich, and satisfying life. And the Bible tells us that the only way that that's going to happen is by surrendering to Jesus Christ, by obeying him. Not because he wants to make your life difficult, but because he wants to make your life great. 
That's the gospel. That's why we call it good news. Gospel means good news. You can be set free of all your sin, all your shame. You can be set free of it all if you start doing what God says. So you and I need to learn what it means to yield to God. Hey, when I went to Bible school, training for the ministry, and very, (laughs) how can I put it, very naive, very idealistic. And I remember praying in the men's chapel, the girls, there's a girls' chapel and a boys' chapel, uh, one in the girls' dorm, one in the boys' dorm. It's just a room where we could go down there and meet with God. And I remember before God saying, God, please show me anything in my life that's got to go, anything that's not right. Show me how I've got to be transformed. And if there's anything that's, uh, that's holding me back and, and it's going to stop me from being productive in the ministry, God, show it to me. In other words, I was inviting God to discipline me, to prune me. <laughs> I'm not so quick to pray like that anymore because it's not enjoyable and it's painful while it's happening. But you know what? God answered my prayer. And God showed me I was argumentative. I even had people say that to me and I thought, I'm not argumentative, I'm just smarter than you. (laughs) God showed me I was argumentative. God showed me I was oversensitive. God showed me that I was easily offended. God showed me I was judgmental and critical. He actually used somebody to say to me there, but by the grace of God go I. We talk about a slap in the head. God showed me I was self-righteous. God even showed me I was a grudge holder. I didn't think I was any of those things. I thought it was actually quite... What a marvelous young man. I was in Bible school, after all, training for the ministry. Now, I just shared with you something very personal. And some of you are sitting there thinking, (laughs) what a loser. (laughs) Oh, yeah, what about you? What happens if I put all your failings and weaknesses up on the screen? The good news is God is working on me, and he's been working on me for years. I'm still a work in progress. Ask Gloria. God's still working on me. He's pruning me. He's shaping me. He's making me into the man that God wants me to be. And good news, folks, is I'm getting better. I'm not, there, I'm not quite there yet. I've still got lots to learn, but I'm getting better. It's not enjoyable all the time, and it's sometimes painful, but I'm saying, God, do your thing in me. I read my Bible every day. I, 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 I memorize it. I'm studying it, but sometimes God has got to come alongside me and say, hey, you know that verse that you thought was for somebody else? Actually, Alan, it's for you. Oh, you're the one that's got to change. You're the one that's got to surrender. You're the one that's got to submit. You're the one that's got to repent. You're the one, Alan, that has got to confess your sin. God's still doing that work in me. I thank God for that. And you know what? I'm thanking God that he's working in you as well. Sometimes you might think I'm being harsh. I'm not being harsh at all. I'm teaching you the truth that's going to set you free and give you a great life. That's why, I teach, that's why we teach the seven habits, the, the, the disciplines 
so you can become all that God wants you to be. In case you're visiting here, you don't know what the seven habits are, get a bookmark at the end of the service. It'll tell you all about it. And by the way, if you're going through a difficult time right now, ask the Lord, God, what is it that you want me to learn? Because some people live in, in chaos and in hard times for a very long time. And I'm going to tell you right now, you don't have to. As soon as, as soon as things are not going right for you, things are starting to fall off, the wheels are coming off, just say, God, okay, what is it? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't like pain. So I want to learn quick. God, what is it you want me to know? And I'm going to tell you the temptation is going to be to blame your spouse, blame your kids for your misery, blame your boss, blame the devil. How many know today that when you're, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you belong to the Father. Satan has no authority over you. has no power over you. Do you understand that today? Because there's some, some religious traditions that teach you that the devil can have a heyday with you. And I'm going to tell you this. You, you are under God's protection. You belong to him. God's sovereign over your life. It's true that sometimes God allows things in your life, but I'm going to tell you this, folks, that although you might be going through a hard time right now, God has not forgotten about you. You just learn whatever it is that God wants you to learn. I remember going through a really, really difficult time in my younger years. And I went before the Lord, and I'm, 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 I'm this, this particular couple. I was so upset with them. They're so mean to me, so hurtful. And I went before the Lord, and I was telling God how, what terrible people they are. God, how could you, like, we, we need to, God, you and I need to do something about these two. These people are horrible people. And, I'm, and you know what I'm doing? I'm, I'm becoming like Satan. The Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And this is exactly what I was doing. I'm going before God and accusing these people before the Father. And God opened my eyes to see that. Oh, God, forgive me. And then, and then you know what happened? God spoke to my heart and said, Alan, here's what I want you to learn through this. I want you to learn to be merciful to those that need mercy. I want you to be gracious to those that need grace. And so I, I sent a letter of apology to this couple. And I apologized to them for, you know, for having a bad attitude, whatever. And you know what they'd said to me? We forgive you. <laughs> I, I, I literally laughed when I read that. I was, a, I was in my mid-20s. I, I literally laughed at that. I said, God, you did your work in me, and I'm going to let you do your work in them. And God did. Here's the thing. Some of you have been listening to the TV preachers. You've read the books. You've listened to the podcasts. And the suggestion is that God wants you to have no problems in your life ever. Problem-free life. Never sick. Uh, no problems. No difficulties. No struggles. God wants you to be rich. God wants you to have everything that you want. I gotta tell you something right now. That is a load of baloney. That is not what God wants. I thought, I thought he's our loving heavenly father. He wants the best for us. He does. The problem is you don't know what the best is for you. God, I just need it. If I just, God, if you just give me that new BMW. Oh. If I could just get rid of my Ford Explorer. It keeps breaking down on me. Really. 
God, if I could just get a new wife or a new husband, if I could just trade my kids in for some good ones, God, if I could just get a different job, a different boss, that's not, that's, that's, that's not how God works. Everybody knows that. Look at, look at. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Let's stop there for a moment, because that's where most people stop when they read that. I think, oh yeah, God's going God's to make great things to my life. But you don't know the rest of the story here. This is the problem of cherry-picking verses out of the Bible and not seeing them in context. God does work for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. But for what? For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be what? To be conformed to the image of his son. Here's what God wants for you. God doesn't care how much money you have. He doesn't care if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter. That does not matter. What matters to God is whether or not you are becoming like Jesus. Did you get that? This is the most important thing you are ever going to learn in your life. You need to become like Jesus. And if you want to know what God is doing, because sometimes you just wonder, what, God, what are you doing up there? What are you doing, Lord? My life, God, what's, what's going on? And here's what's going on. God is making you like Jesus. Everything that you're going through, whether it's good times, hard times, difficulties, struggles, God is using all these things to shape you, to form you into the image of his son because he wants you to be like Jesus. If you don't understand that, then you don't understand the Christian life at all. You don't understand the point of scripture. He wants you to be holy. Set apart for God's purposes so that you can produce fruit that will last for eternity. If you're coming to this church, you're going to hear the truth. You're going to hear the truth that sets you free. You come to this church, I'm not going to give you sugar-coated gospel. I'm not going to give you psychology lessons. I'm going to give you the raw truth that is going to give you life. It's going to produce fruit in your life, in your marriage, and in your family. Wow. You know what? Let me just tell you this. I'm almost done. God has, has a purpose for every single person here today. And I'm going to tell you, if you are not pursuing God's purpose for your life, then you're going to be in big trouble real soon. So you better be sure you know what God's purpose is, and you better be doing it. Paul says to the Ephesians that, God, for we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. If you as a Christian are not producing fruit, then you need to be frightened. You need to be very, very frightened. Because Jesus tells us that every branch that does not produce fruit will be cut off. And those who are producing fruit, God's going to prune you so that you produce even more more. Wow. Hey, <laughs> I know some of you say, Pastor, I don't know why God never answers my prayers. Well, I'm going to tell you why 
God's not answering your prayers. Anybody ever wonder that? Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you now, I'm gonna give you the reason why your prayers aren't being answered. And here it is, and we're gonna close with this. Jesus says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. For what purpose? I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. Now watch this. So that the Father will give you whatever you ask for, whatever you pray for, using my name. Now just think about this for a moment. What a crazy, scary world it would be if God answered every single prayer that we prayed. How many know what I'm talking about? Oh, God, my brother. God, just kill him. My boss, Lord, he's not worthy. He deserves the plague. I'm glad you find this amusing. But think about it. What a crazy, dark, and horrible world it would be if Christians, people who call themselves Christians, had all their prayers answered. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. It's the people who are connected to the vine that have a daily walk with God, that know the mind of God, who are yielding to the pruning of the gardener. It's these people who will see their prayers answered. It's these people who are going to see miracles take place. But if you're not connected to the Father and you're not open to being, being pruned by the Father, then there's not a chance in heaven or the other place that your prayers are going to be answered. You're wasting your breath. But for those who are plugged into God, connected to the vine, you will be a powerhouse for God. You will change the world in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit because when you're connected to the vine, the Holy Spirit is busy going back and forth, teaching you everything Jesus commanded you, empowering you with the power that Jesus Christ had while he was here on this earth. Yes, that's what it means to be a Christian. Oh, my, listen, my brothers and sisters, get in touch with Jesus. Let him to do his work in your life and watch what's going to happen in your life. Let's stand together and pray. Father, thank you so much for the promises that we have in being connected to the vine. God, you want us to produce fruit that will last for eternity. You want us, Lord, to know the power of the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that worked through Christ is available to us. Oh, God, we want to surrender to your purpose and your plan. We want to produce fruit that will last for eternity. We want to be more fruitful, Father, and we want to see our prayers answered. We want to be partners with you, so we commit ourselves to you now, thanking you in Jesus' name. You are pruning us. God, it's painful. It's not enjoyable, but we're inviting you, God, to do your work in us. And if you agree... Say amen. 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 God bless.